Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom for thy getting good and understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Catch the live stream there also. You can go to abb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com. They stream out of Ghana. and Catch the live stream there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In the TuneIn Radio app, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream your program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. <clears throat> Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. That's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In the Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's time for an awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on time for an awakening media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an awakening marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. <clears throat> it's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, our guest this evening, activist, organizer, and CFO of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Alexander, is with us in conversation. And you can also join that conversation with questions or comments by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, 
our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You're listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother 
From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 712 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellie. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to speaking with Brother Patrick uh, Alexander. You know, it's it's not often that we um, start to look at the whole point of liberation, um, nation building, um, land um, reclamation at a point where, you know, you know, tomorrow they're supposed to be celebrating their um, their revolution. And um, we're still engaged in our revolutionary process. So um, I'm hoping Brother Patrick and our dialogue will help us, you know, expand that in this moment um, as we move towards the 22nd century. You know, it's a, um, <clears throat> it's a lot of things going on uh, and things are moving rapidly, Richard. There's a lot of our people organizing throughout the country, uh, throughout the South. There's no... Uh, it, it's, they're not exempt from it. It's a lot of organizing going on, and especially in Mississippi. Uh, we're happy to have with us this evening the CFO of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Alexander, is with us also. Brother Kamal Kareem is with us also uh, on the line. Brother Kamal, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. Happy to have both your yes. brothers with us on the, tonight on Time for an Awakening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Richard. It's a blessing to be with you all. You know, before we kind of talk about some issues going on down there and, and, and you brothers and sisters that's involved in your organization is organizing, uh, let's talk about the, the organization itself. Uh, me and Richard always have people on here, uh, whether they're college professors, columnists, uh, authors, activists around the country. But I'm always um, enamored at organizers because it takes a special skill to get out here and appeal to our people and get them to organize. That That's the key. And that's one reason why things are moving at a pace now where it needs to move more rapidly. But it's a challenge for us because of the skill of organizing. So whenever I get brothers or sisters on here that's organizers, I'm, I, I really want to talk to them to find out the heartbeat of our people in different areas, uh, the skill that it takes to bring them together. And before we start talking about any issues that's going on in Mississippi that uh, that, the, that uh, our brothers and sisters around the country should know about, let's talk about the uh, uh, the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, and, and both of your brothers, the the uh, the organization of it. Uh, just talk about it. How long have you been uh, uh, at this? And just uh, kind of give us a little overview of uh, uh, BLM. Wait a minute. I think Brother Patrick might be muted. There you go. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Brother Patrick. Okay. Everybody can hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, 
All right. Well, first of all, thank you, Brother Elliot, uh, Brother Richard, for uh, looking down the road, way down the road, and seeing a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of light, and the pragmatism of liberation taking place uh, down here in Mississippi. I want to say power and peace to everybody that's chiming in today. Uh, we are honored to be on here. And we always say power and peace and not peace and power because we are the understanding that black people in this culture, in this climate, will have no peace until we get some power. So uh, <clears throat> with that being said, um, the Black Liberation Movement is uh, not uh, some new idea. Of course, we all know uh, it's been many organized functions that have come under the banner of Black liberation. Mm -hmm. But this particular Black liberation movement here in Mississippi uh, came to my spirit about eight years ago, laying in my bed one morning. And uh, <clears throat> it was like a programming took place in my spirit and it caused an action uh that materializing what it is that we talking about right now the organized functionality of the mississippi-based black liberation movement and uh we saw a necessity to organize the black liberation movement operate off tenets that have been hashed out by our great social scientist uh brother neely fuller and dr francis chris wilson uh, we operate around the nine areas of battle activity and human concern. And what we try and do is situate ourselves in each one of those areas for power. Uh, we under, uh, like I said, we under the uh, understanding that without power, it's not, it's not going to be uh, any type of forward, true forward progress. For our people so that's what we are uh brother uh elliot we are organization that's designed to build power uh for our people in every area of human activity battle and concern uh, brother kamal uh anything you yes, want to add well just adding to that i became familiar with uh brother patrick uh approximately four years ago my background uh, I grew up in the Nation of Islam uh, under the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, graduated from Muhammad University of Islam. And so I'm one of those old FOI. But it, upon moving to Mississippi when I was about 17, of which I'm 64 now, I still stayed politically active and still developed cadres throughout the state, uh, held political office here, helped other people uh, who advocated black leadership and black liberation in their campaigns and in their platforms attain public office uh published uh, a newspaper and currently wrote a book called pragmatic nationalism still working on a couple of other books and now, and I'm now sorry. i mm -hmm. uh well, we still on yes i'm sorry now I, you know, that's okay uh now uh uh I'm working very closely with the Black Liberation Movement being their uh, lead council general in terms of developing strategies for grassroots organizing based on the premise that the Black Power Movement in 1966 
emerged out of Greenwood, Mississippi, with Kwame Torre and Mukasa Dada, formerly Stokely Carmichael and really uh, Willie Ricks. And so uh, based on that, what we're experiencing here in Mississippi is the resurrection of that movement and a new awakening among a generation of people uh, who have not experienced that and who are learning how to execute that through uh, their struggle and leadership for the whole collective of the community. You know, before we move into some of the issues that are, that are uh, in front of us right now, let me let me go back to something you said, uh, 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 Brother Patrick, uh, that it came on your heart eight years ago to to get to get involved to start organizing. Uh, prior to that, because because you know I think by you expressing this, you can help. Uh, listeners across the country to understand the importance of us getting involved. But prior to that, prior to that awakening, and I'll use that term that you experienced eight years ago to get busy. What was your spirit prior to that? I I know that you were probably active and you knew certain things was happening in our community, but what made you say, I got to get involved and do something about it to to share that with our listening audience? Great question, Brother Elliot. Uh, <clears throat> and you took my mind back to a very uh, curious circumstances in my life. Uh, prior to that, I was very active. You know, uh, uh, coming out of uh, high school, uh, experiencing a very uh, catastrophic event in my life when I was wrongly accused of uh, uh, a crime. Uh, and that thrust me into the penal system, being a standout athlete uh, in high school, anticipating uh, uh, college, uh, uh, collegiate uh, basketball uh, career, uh, I, I was unfortunately I, I was unable to uh, pursue that, but uh, it, it ended up in a different institution uh, called the penal system. I ended up in the penal system, so I was very uh, what, what, what you would call an intelligent young man, I guess you'd say, undergraduate. Uh, athlete and uh, <clears throat> you know so I always uh, but I always was a realist so being thrust in that situation and uh, you know suffering the blunt force of a white supremacist system so early uh, it was no bones about it for me you know I, I saw exactly what it was you know I saw exactly uh, the uh, construct of white supremacy as it worked it's uh, uh it, as it worked its tentacles around me, uh, and I began to learn things, you know, uh, in that penal system, uh, in my state. And once I was released, uh, I basically uh, became the Malcolm X of my uh, generation. I became the Malcolm X of my demographic. And uh, I was a no hold bar type person, but I didn't realize as I matured that I was just an individual. Uh, my mother made me uh, an entrepreneur, which I am to this day, and that made me free to express my black power ideas and my basic, basically what it, what it was was a retaliation uh, without organization uh, to the system that had uh, stole my life. Uh, but just to answer your question, Brother Elliot, 
Um, these were the building blocks that led me to understand that we cannot just take uh, frivolous shots in the dark and be individualistic about our ideas, uh, whether they're liberating ideas or not. We have to organize. So growing in maturity and understanding, you know, that we have to organize and being, being that I care and I, and I care so much about our people, I knew, you know, that we had to organize. And so just for, you know, <clears throat> the Black Liberation Movement became a reality. Richard, um, you know, I, I wanted Brother Patrick to express that because, you know, what he just said is key. And we talked about this Friday briefly about we can't be individualistic in our approach. We have to organize. Richard, uh, any comments before I've kind of moved into a few other things? No, no. I, I, and, and I just because what I, as we when we turn come back around and what I like as a how do we go about this? The, the finding power. I like the gentleman to do that, but no, go ahead. Let's see where we, you know what? I, I wanted to talk about some of the issues that's happening now, but no, it, it, you might be uh go ahead. Just express some of the things because I can always get into that. Oh, uh, go ahead. Richard. Yeah. I, I like it because I think it's important when we talk about power, we talk about black power you know, and, 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 and brother Alexander, you said, you know, power and peace and, you know, power, you have to have this power first. And sometimes you make it so abstract from what we have to do day to day, especially as organizers and having relationship to each other. So I'm wondering from both of you, how do you define power from the perspective of what you're doing right now? Uh, well, brothers, um, in our teaching people and organizing them, it's bringing them to the realization of what power is and uh you know, whether it's coercive power or uh, reward power, uh, legitimate power, uh, expert power, uh, you know, uh, and letting them understand what type of power they're under and what type of power they need to get out from under that condition. And so uh, the term with Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi is not used loosely or, or abstract, but it's giving people to understand what power is so that they can actually actualize and use it and understand what type of oppression and power that is oppressing them. And I think that that's been uh, very misunderstood sort of through the ages because it's been used uh, in, in a loose term. People say, oh, well, we need power, but how can you use something if you don't understand what it is it's true and 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 for you um brother patrick how do you um especially as you define you know that 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 moment that the that awakening is uh brother ellie raised and you express um how did you is there a distinction between what what you seen power as um before that moment and what you are engaged in now as moving for the development of that power. How do you define it? Uh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, I think, you know, if you were to have a, 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 a radio show and interview most people on what their perception of power is, the only thing that they would refer to in, you know, in their 
maturest level is white power. You know, that's mostly what we experience, you know, as, as, as a people in the constructs of this type of system is white power. So uh, being a victim of white power, I mean, what is white power? It's the ability to define our reality. So I watched white people uh, that control the white system exercise white power on me as an individual. And um, <clears throat> that precipitated, uh, that precipitates a response because when people can exercise that type, that measure of power, where, where they have the ability to change your whole life structure, what is the response to that? You know, and I, I try to talk to some of the most intelligent people across this country, but I, I, I have only come up with one logical response to white power, <laughs> and that's black power. You know, and what I mean by that is simple. It's the ability to manipulate and control your own reality. So if you don't build your own houses, who's going to build it? If you don't grow your own food, who's going to grow it? If you don't teach your own children, who's going to teach them? See, power is not just a hard aspect. It's soft aspects to power. You know, we just marched down the streets of Natchez, Mississippi and show white people a demonstration of white power. They ain't never seen that in their life. Hmm. They had never seen it in their life. And guess what? We had never done it. But see, at some point, we've come to a maturity that suggests we got to exercise black power. And so that's my uh, explanation, uh, Brother Richard and Brother Elliot. Uh, Black people have to show and express uh, showing of what black power is. I saw the look of the white people face when we come down the streets of Natchez, Mississippi, which is the cotton capital at one point of the world. More white millionaires were made out of Natchez, Mississippi than anywhere else on the planet due to what? Black labor. So for these white people to see black people not protesting, demonstrate black power in their streets. I saw the looks on their face. And the only thing it did for me was made me want to organize around that so that it could be more consistent, not only be more consistent, but become a way of life. And, and you know, Elliot, the, you know, uh, I think it's important for, you know, as we develop for the Time for Awakening audience to be able to be clear, um, as, as the brothers has raised, that it's, it is about what you demonstrate, not necessarily which, what is the conceptional framework. It's from an organizing perspective. It's, you know, because sometimes we, we, get, we, we get the abstract and make that the, the material when there is no abstract to power. It is, it is truly material, but it does have an abstract component, right? Um, <clears throat> to it so we can't we over overlook that and if i could ask one more question uh, which would ties to that and i'm going to come back to this theme because i think um i have some other when we talk about liberation and nation building and mississippi as you mentioned and i'm really curious to have the, the for you to characterize those faces those white faces uh because we get a different image of mississippi if we just listen to the news but the extension of power from the organizing is the tools of 
an organizer. You can't have power unless you organize people, right? And it has to be certain tools um, that we have to have in order to organize our people. And I wanted y'all to, you know, explain from your vantage point, what do you see as those tools that we must have? Because I think that those are important no matter where we are, if we're truly engaged in the organizing process, which I'll be willing to share with that, with us. Oh, 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 yes. I, I would say the first and foremost tool is love. You cannot lead people unless you love them. Mm-hmm. And and so the key component of getting the attention of poor, disenfranchised, those who are voiceless, is exemplifying love, which develops a trust. Uh, then secondly, being for your people with a character quality, because uh, a bad character quality can destroy the love and trust that you have built up in the organizing and, 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 and be about what you say that you are and not capitulate. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, uh, you know, this is what I said. Be as as they as I hear so many young people say, be true to the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and uh, because uh, I find that this age group, eighteen to thirty-five, we, you know, and, and of course, I don't know if you all heard, but they're leaving the churches by droves because they're tired of the same capitulation. They're tired of the uh, of seeing. Uh, uh, fakers and shysters and charlatans and you know and and uh, you know they they want to see leadership actualized and they want an a produced example that can be followed that they can participate in. This is what we this is what we have been hearing as uh, uh, Patrick and I. We you know we've toured the state. We've been to several Mississippi cities holding town talks with Mississippi on the move in terms of trying to hear the definitions of uh, of our people's phenomena and, and their problems and how we can bring solutions and actually uh, uh, doing a, a, a listening agenda so that we can try to fulfill need, whether it be politically, educationally, or economically. And so in that, uh, the... The younger generations, I say, which I'm, I'm a little older than Patrick, and this generation's a little bit younger than Patrick, uh, 18 to 35, uh, or you can even throw 40 in there. But they want to, they they want to see the example. They just don't want to hear about it, and they just, they just don't want to see the talking heads uh, anymore because they're growing further and further away from the idea that inclusion will work for our people. Mm. Mm. And you, Brother Patrick, uh, as far as those tools from your vantage point, and and, and, and yes, how do you yeah. see that? Yeah, well, that's very powerful, and I hope they noticed what Baba Kamal said. But I'm going a, I'm to a expound on that as well and give some tangible things uh, <clears throat> that most definitely uh, need. Now, when the brothers all descended down, I like using the terminology, descended down to Mississippi. 
you know, we got a chance to uh, have brothers all from the East Coast, as far as California and the West Coast, up north to New York, and uh, all the cities across there and out west to Texas as well. You know, one of the uh, most rewarding things that I heard from one of the brothers that headed one of the gun uh, militias that was there, brother by the name of General Guy, said, Brother Patrick, I want to talk to you about governance because I saw something in Mississippi and I didn't think it was like that. And I said, Brother, what was that? He said, I saw a people resource. And that stuck with me. That stuck with me because even as we traverse the state of Mississippi with Mississippi on the move, I have not spoken, uh, Baba Kamal himself have not spoken to the people resource in this manner. You know, and, and, and so I was very interested in what that brother saw. And uh, we'll expound on that later. But think about these things that uh, that's uh, abundant here in Mississippi. These things are abundant, a people resource a land resource, a cultural resource, and check this one out, a gas-lit history of oppression, which becomes a powder keg for change. Now, when y'all wrote this thing up, when y'all wrote it up, I looked at it. I didn't give y'all the bio. Y'all did the bio. And it was very interesting. In the bio, you spoke to the history of Mississippi. How do you know that? You know? Either one of y'all ever lived in Mississippi, but you know, oh, you, know you know the history of Mississippi is so uh, written in uh, 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 in blood. It's so written in racism, the thick cocoa racism that's here. So it's a special type of people that's still here, bro. It's a it's a special type of people that's still here. I was seeking information before we left, uh, got on the air as to the Great Migration and people leaving up out of Mississippi uh, in, a, in, a, in a 10 to 20 year span. Uh, it was 1 million people left the state of Mississippi under the thick cloak of racism. Where did they go? Where did they go? They, they come back. They come north in all the various cities in the north. But they come straight out of Mississippi. The oppression that we suffered here in Mississippi uh, uh, led to a great migration out of Mississippi. But still today, Mississippi, even though that great migration took place, Mississippi is still the blackest state in the nation, ratio to proportion. So it's something to be said about the black people resource that's still here in Mississippi. It's something to be said about the fortitude of black people here in Mississippi. And you listening to the voice of one, two, that has uh, locked in right here in Mississippi. And we're going to tap into that people resource. We're going to tap into that land resource. We're going to tap into that political resource. We got more black elected officials than any other state right now. So we got to tap into these things that we already have. And we got to get black people from across the nation to look just like General Ghazi did. And he said, man, listen, what can I do? I seen you no know, black sheriffs in Mississippi. See, most people wouldn't even think that even exists. We got black shares and black males everywhere. So we have to terraform the mindset of these capitulated black leaders. And that's what we're doing with Mississippi on the move. We're going and we're having a tough conversation. And, uh, you know, that's where we at. I'm just speaking to the, 
the resource, uh, the abundance of resources we have here, starting with our people. Great. <laughs> thank you. And thank you both. Uh, I think that will help, help us as, uh, and I think that those tools are something that we should be looking no matter where we are and, and where we are right now. Um, so Elliot, I, I, what do you think? What do you think? Well, well, you know what? Listen, I, I, but let me say this. I'm, I just want to give a little, um, announcement of uh, the, um, we're speaking this evening, our special guest this evening, activist, organizer, and CFO of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Alexander. Also joining us in conversation is Brother Kamal of the uh, of Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi. Uh, both of you brothers, I, I think that uh, the organization Mississippi on the Move, from what I understand, it combines several uh, organizations working together. In fact, uh, Brother Maine, uh, the one that uh, was instrumental in the uh, Tribes Summit, uh, told me about a Mississippi on the move and, with, uh, and being a part of the organization with you, uh, Brother Patrick. Um, I, I think that's key when you see other organizations that might be different organizations, but a collective goal. That can be a model for other states because some areas – in Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Mississippi, but Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where me and Richard are in, is not exempt. You have organizations up here, but sometimes they have a tendency not to work together. Mm. And that's what we got mm. to, we got to learn this because we, we getting hit almost like boxes in the ring. We getting hit with left hooks. And sometimes our people are reeling, reeling back and forth or reeling against the ropes, or we might be throwing a jab instead of meeting power with power. You know, less than a month ago, uh, our people were massacred up there in Buffalo in that supermarket. And if we don't come up with solutions to this, things like this is going to happen again, whether it's next week, tomorrow, next month, it's going to happen again. We're living in a violent society. Our people are caught up in this violence, and we got to do something to break this cycle Uh for the betterment of our youth. We have to do something. We're at the point now where we have to do something. We cannot wait on these elected officials because they're not going to meet the force that we need against the force that's happening in our community. But let me, let me share this article with you because brother Patrick, you uh, was talking about this in the podcast that you did. Uh, and I wanted to read it Friday on our program, but uh, I'm going to do it tonight because it, it's not a better time to do it than right now because the brothers are dealing with this uh, right down there in Mississippi. Let me mm-hmm. share this pub, uh, published report from thegrio.com, which came out on Friday. Un, un, unserved warrant charging white woman with Emmett Till's kidnapping found in the basement. Jackson, Mississippi, the AP, a team searching Mississippi courthouse basement for evidence about the lynching of black teenager Emmett Till has found an unserved warrant charging white woman in the 1955 kidnapping and relatives of the victims want authorities to arrest her nearly 70 years later. A warrant for the arrest of Carolyn Bryant uh, identified as Miss Roy Bryant on the document was discovered last week by searchers inside the file folder that had been placed in the box. LaFleur County Circuit Clerk Elmas Stocktill 
told the Associated Press on Wednesday. Documents are kept inside boxes for decades, he says. But there was nothing else to indicate where the warrant dated October 29, 1955, might have been. They narrowed it down between the 50s and 60s and got lucky, says Stockbill, who certified the warrant as genuine. The search group included members of Emmett Till's Legacy Foundation and two relatives, cousin Deborah Watts, head of the foundation, and her daughter, Terry Watts. Relatives want authorities to use the warrant to arrest Dunham, who at the time of the slaying was married to one of the white men tied, tried and acquitted just weeks after Till was abducted from relatives' home, killed and dumped in a river. Serve it and charge her, Terry Watts. Serve it and charge her, Terry Watts told the AP in an interview. Keith Beauchamp, whose documentary film The Untold Story of Emmett Till preceded a renewed Justice Department probe that ended without charges in 2007, was also a part of the search. He said there's enough new evidence to prosecute Dunham. Dunham set off the case in August 1955 by accusing a 14-year-old Emmett Till of making improper advances at a family store in Money, Mississippi. Evidence indicated a woman, possibly Dunham, identified Till to men who later killed him. The arrest warrants against Dunham was publicized at the time, but LaFleur County Sheriff told reporters that he didn't want to bother the woman since she had two children to care for of her own. This is what the state of Mississippi needs to go ahead, she says. The district attorney, Dwayne Richardson, whose office would prosecute a case, declined comment on the warrant, but cited a December report about the Till case from the Justice Department, which says no prosecution was possible. Contacted by the AP on Wednesday, LaFleur County Sheriff Ricky Banks said, this is the time I've known, excuse me, This is the first time I've known about a warrant. Banks, who was seven years old when Till was killed, says nothing was said about a warrant when a former district attorney investigated the case five or six years ago. I will see if I can get a copy of the warrant warrant and get with the DA to get his opinion on it, Banks says, if the warrant can still be served. Uh, He would have to talk to law enforcement officers in the state where Dunham resides. Arrest warrants can go stale due to the passage of time and changing of circumstances, and one from 1955 is almost certainly wouldn't pass muster before a court, even if the sheriff agreed to serve it, says Ronald Rysak, a law professor at the University of Mississippi. Uh, mm-hmm. Brother Kamal, I want you to weigh yeah, in on this yeah. because b- b- before you talk, let me say this. When I read this article, I pulled up, because it's different from state to state, as you both know. But I pulled up the the statute in Mississippi, and it mentions several different crimes that it's no statute of limitations for, and one of them right. is kidnapping. So right. what the hell are these uh, 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 elected officials and sheriffs talking about, about it going stale and they can't enforce it? Talk about it from you, brothers' perspectives. You're right down there. Even though this affects all every black person in this country, that case it affects. Does. It does. Uh, my brothers and, and, and sisters uh, who are listening across this country and even in Africa, uh, this uh, is a trial for us 
to whether or not murder would go without impunity. Now, the statute of limitations on murder never run out. And not only that, but just by virtue of the fact all of what you're hearing in the Associated Press is white people trying to spin and control the narrative, hoping that people's ignorance of the law will carry them through. Now, it is it is up to all of us because see this is this is a public safety violation for a whole entire community. If you can get away with murder without impunity, if uh, warrants can be negated without due process, what is that saying for justice in America and justice reform in terms of African Americans? So uh, beyond the the Emmett Till case itself. And then let me just also go so far as to say that the state of Mississippi, in terms of the Till family and the Emmett Till murder itself, have been very, very disrespectful to the Till family. They were disrespectful to Mamie Till while she was alive. Case in point, she came before the state legislature twice to ask for an apology for the travesty of justice that was uh, committed to her and her son, Emmett Till, who, by the way, was a child who was murdered because he was uh, just 14 or 15 years old. He was a child. Yes. And his whole character was impugned and obliterated, and he was the victim. And the state of Mississippi refused on two occasions to give her an apology. Just Mm. four months ago, my younger brother, who is a state representative, filed a resolution asking the state of Mississippi to apologize for the travesty of justice and the atrocities that they had done to Mamie Till and the miscarriage of justice that they did on behalf of the murder of Emmett Till. And they threw the darn thing out of committee. They wouldn't even let it get out of committee. So my case in point is, in dealing with this matter, we are dealing with a very racist, very vicious cycle. It's just like a, it's just like a woman who would put on makeup and then take it off, or take her eyelashes off, or take her wig off. It's still the same ugly woman, even though she dresses up from time to time. This is what Mississippi has done over the course of the years. Still the same ugly racist, vicious, rednecks, they just put on cosmetics. They appease certain blacks by uh, uh, giving them uh, royal Negro positions and uh, treating them as professional elites and giving them a drink and a steak and letting them run after a few dress tails or, or giving them a few amenities while the collective, the poor, the disenfranchised people still remain with the same problems. And so, uh, uh, we feel, and I'm pretty sure that Patrick will agree with me, we feel, and there's a whole host of us here in Mississippi that feel that this cannot go unmeasured or unchecked, you know, certainly not stepping the bounds or overstepping the bounds of the family, but this pertains to the whole black human family. Matter of fact, the whole human family of the planet Earth in terms of justice. And so, uh, uh, now, myself personally, because I have been uh, in the political arena in Mississippi, 
I am familiar with these antiquated, outdated laws, and I do know that our people are disenfranchised. Uh, when we go to the courthouse this week, I do not expect a positive response from the district attorney framed on their argument. But I say if you can arrest an 84-year-old Bill Cosby, and then after he's acquitted for what he was in prison for, then you try to jam him up for another 1975 uh, 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 infraction or charge or whatever. I say that 88-year-old Carolyn Bryant, I say that her butt can be extradited out of Raleigh, uh, uh, North Carolina, wherever she is, and brought back to Mississippi uh, for a hearing of justice. Hmm. Brother Patrick? Yes, sir. Uh, just springboarding off what Baba Kamal just said. And uh, <clears throat> I, I just want to speak to the thick cloak of racism and the racist history of this particular state. Not that it don't exist all across America. It's just like Malcolm said, anything south of Canada is the south. You know, so no bones about it. I was just talking to some brothers in Philadelphia uh, the other day. I got I got brothers in Philadelphia. And I, I recognize now that I got two more. But uh, they were just telling me about a lynching or hanging or something that y'all had up there. But anyway, just speaking to the culture and the political climate of Mississippi, you know, that uh, that that powder keg sparked, you know, the civil rights movement, you know, the atrocities that white people were perpetrating here in Mississippi was so egregious that uh, it sparked the civil rights. Emmett Till murder sparked it's still right move. Yeah. So, you know, but when you talk about these white people that we're going to have to uh, deal with, you know, in, in the system that they created, you know, a uh, 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 power and, and an arrogant power at that, you're talking about a history of governors like a Paul B. Johnson uh, that when I study these people, because I study, I study what it is that we face it, you know, and I, and I want to be uh, effective in, in dealing with these matters, you know, I want to be trusted by people in dealing with these matters, so you got to study. Uh, people like Paul B. Johnson, who was the governor of this state, you know, his whole policy was, we're going to deal with this Mississippi style, you know, I watched whole documentary, and this, uh, you know, this is the, the this is the the tenor of, 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 of that's spoken from the governor position here in Mississippi. You're talking about people like Theodore Bilbo, uh, who uh, said that if you want to keep a nigga from visiting the poll, from going to the polls, uh, visit him the night before election. You know, this is the thick cloak of racism that we're dealing with. So, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> just speaking to this particular situation, and I said those things, to give the listeners, you know, an uh, idea of the climate that we're still dealing with when it comes to matters such as these. Uh, and we got to deal with it. It's my life uh, determination to deal with this. And uh, look these crackers in their face and let them know, I ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. Our people ain't going nowhere. We're going to deal with this. 
So uh, I just got off the phone with the lady that you mentioned in the article, uh, Brother Elliot, uh, Terry Watts. Okay. And I can't say that I can't say that I was uh, satisfied with that call. You know, because you know we have a we are capitulated people. Me and Baba Kamal have held a press conference on people who have been killed. Police footage have shown that these people were killed and have the family back out, you know, when we get ready to mash the gas on these situations. We've seen it in all kinds of cases, not only here in Mississippi, but all across the nation where our people praying for the very people who littered our children's bodies with bullets. You know, so we're dealing with a lot, you know, but in this case right here, uh, this woman is going to have to face due process of law. You know, as far as we're concerned with the Black Liberation Movement, and that's the reason why I was reaching out to that family, uh, the family of Emmett Till, because Emmett Till is not just yours, uh, that particular family. Emmett Till is ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to let that lady know, because I read that same article you read, uh, Brother Elliot, and I read some more articles, and uh, the question was raised, like, what prompted them? To go into the courthouse and find and try to hash out this this uh warrant. She said that the spirit of Emmett led her there. And I was taken back. The spirit of Emmett Till led her to the warrant. <laughs> so it's something that must be done. And, it, and we, we 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 way past, you know, praying about this. We way past that. We at the point right now where it's something gotta be done. You know, our children's future is at stake. Our integrity and our humanity is at stake. So it's that time. And so the Black Liberation Movement is, you know, a fortified organization that's standing on principle. And we're standing on the integrity of our ancestors. We're standing on the integrity of our people. And we intend to get some things done. You know, can I, hey, Ellie, can I ask uh, just a, uh, I think it's a quick follow-up question. I'm curious because of Baba Kamal's um, and Brother Patrick made reference to the march that y'all had, I guess, what was that, a couple weeks ago? Um, because of the, is that the um, the youth, youth against gang violence? Was that? Um, mm -hmm. And and I'm, I'm wondering, and he was making reference to young people and this, how did this, is it to say whether this discovery, Emmett Till, and the impact that both of you describe have, is it too early to say um, what impact it has on, and brother um, Baba Kamal, you said those 18 to 35, 18 to 40. Um, do you have any feedback of how this may have affected them in this moment? Well, one of the things that Mississippi on the Move is doing is establishing a dialogue with the street tribes and the street organizations without the dialogue of criminality. And so I'm pretty sure in days to come, well, what we do have now is we do have access to boots on the ground. Uh, in terms of uh, the exact effects of something that happened 67 years ago uh, on, on this generation. One thing they do know, they do know that uh, 
this cracker here is unjust. Now, they wouldn't have the same terror or feeling about it as I would by me being 64 years old. It was a horror story for me in 19, uh, I was born in 58, but, you know, you would be afraid to go to sleep at night, even even in the 60s when you would talk about money, Mississippi. You know that that's where they put a cotton gin around Emmett Till's neck and put him in Tallahatchie River. And so that was like the, the, the little shop of horror stories for us being children going to bed and, and, and the terror of just going back and forth to Mississippi because at that particular time, my family lived in the north. And I grew up in Chicago. I didn't come to Mississippi until I was 17. So with all that being said, I, I think that, once again, with the example of people who know how to exercise black power, leadership and love, concern for the collective, and using the importance of not just mobilizing but to organize, I think that they will come around to the knowledge and the realization of a lot of atrocities that have happened to our people uh, all the way to almost antiquity. And I think as they raise in that consciousness, I think that uh, uh, it would make them more readily, male and female, to avail themselves to the cause of liberation. You know, we're, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, as callers on the line, we'll get right to them after the break. Uh, let me say this, though, before we uh, go out for break, because uh, brother, uh, brother Kamal had mentioned that uh, that he was involved at one time in politics, and now he's involved in trying to organize our people to deal with with politics in a different manner. Uh, yeah. And I want to talk about that in, in the second portion of the program. But let me say this on the way out. This uh, stuff that has broken over the past couple of days in relation to Emmett Till, uh, just like both of you brothers said, Emmett Till is just like our son, our nephew, our younger brother. Uh, yeah. He's a part of our family. We cannot mm -hmm. let these black elected officials off the hook. I know that Mississippi has, has more than any other uh, state in this country of black elected officials, but this goes to all of them. You know, right. you, you you got uh, Benny Thompson, right. who, who some people, you know, I listen to Black Talk Radio all the time. They getting on there giving, giving accolades to Benny Thompson about him going after some white folks that ran up into the Capitol. I don't give a damn about white folks running up into the Capitol. They're going to do Benign that. Benign neglect. Benign neglect. <laughs> we need him to do something about this. Do something about this. Stand up, Benny Thompson. Get some balls and do something about this. I don't give a damn what Trump and them Trumpites or whoever, proud boys, no boys, what they did running into the Capitol. Who gives a damn? I give a damn about this. Do something about this, Benny Thompson. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. And, again, you can get involved, too, in the discussion by dialing 215-490-9832, 215-490-9832. I guess this evening, activists and organizers, CFO, of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Alexander, also joining the conversation as Brother Kamal. We'll be right back.
to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global you black family, to join your interconnected you black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. I am an African. The death of my brother is also my death. Let me put this question to you again, because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who will destroy them in America. There are fools in this this country who try to claim that they are not Africans. 
who claim that they do not see color, as if they're not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color. And that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you better think again. You're out of your minds and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I am an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions. Probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must mm. deal with the problem that confronts black mm. people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separatist position is a viable position for black people. Any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years. this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. Mm.
listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. Part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.22 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, CFO of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Mississippi on the Move, Brother Patrick Alexander is with us, also Brother Kamal. Uh, can everybody hear me? Yes. Good, good. I, I, don't yes, know, sir. Yes, sir. I don't know what happened to our audio there briefly, but everybody's back. Uh, Richard, and you're back. Uh, you know what? I got the people waiting here. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to 405 in Oklahoma. 405, are you there? 405? I am. I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, okay. This is Sister Crystal. I'm a part of the graduation movement on the Secretary of Education and Information. And I just want to say that this has been a great uh, conversation. Uh, I uh, am uh, just listening and and I really didn't have a comment or a question. I was just listening in and providing my support to Baba Kamal and Brother Pat. Okay. All right. Thank you, sister. Yeah. You're welcome. Let's go to six, uh, 662 in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, question or comment for our guest? Let's put them back on hold. Let's go to 404 in Atlanta. 404. All right, you're Elliot, man. I thought the Scott Daddy got you like the brother. Hey, look here, man. Hey, uh, before I get to uh, Mississippi, man, uh, I seen a case uh, the other day where they, them Nazi hunters got a 101-year-old uh, dude that was in the Holocaust, a Nazi that did something to them folk. They just locked his ass up, man. Okay? Y'all can look it up. I just yeah, saw that. Yeah, I saw that. He was 102. Man, they were looking at me all scared. They were scared to do something, man. But uh, 
Okay, I saw y'all on, 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 when y'all had that march in, in Natchez, man, on Juneteenth. That was beautiful, man. That was beautiful. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, my question to y'all is, man, I love y'all had the uh, young folks sign that that that, uh, that treaty. So uh, my question to y'all is, with that treaty that everybody signed, okay? Because uh, uh, I, I went to Cali, man, and the, the, the Crips in the Blood signed that treaty when when uh, uh, one of their Nipsey got killed. Because they took took the blue rags and the, and the red rags and tied them together and signed a treaty. So mm-hmm. hopefully y'all gonna go. Y'all gonna go all over the country, man. Having brothers, the street tribe shit got to stop, man. All right. Mm-hmm. So if y'all, y'all go to Chicago, man, please, and get these street tribes to sign these treaties, man. Cause you gotta mm-hmm. quit. Cause I, I, I'm 64, and we ain't come up with all this terrorizing in the hood, man. All right, back mm-hmm. in the day, man. So uh, mm-hmm. this this stuff in, and, and one more thing, I hope y'all get hooked up with them brothers that was uh down here in Stone Mountain last year, not effing around coalition. Cause they done healed up Jam Master J. Y'all know that, right? Elliot was trying mm-hmm. to see that last time. Mm-hmm. So y'all mm-hmm. gonna we get it hooked up with they groups, man. And uh, uh we gonna get out of this. And power, I just looked up power. Power is the ability and capacity to do work, man. So that's the definition of power. I'm electrician, I know the definition of power, but we gonna we gonna get out of this, man. Get these get these young folks, man, inside the treaty, man. Cause we they can't be robbing grandma, man, no more. They gotta put these guns up. We had a case down here in Atlanta last week. Or something Negro went and shot up the subway because he ain't like the way them sisters uh, made a sandwich, man. What the hell is that, man? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. this shit got to stop, man. This got to stop, mm-hmm. man. We got to uh, 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 police ourselves, man. I know mm-hmm. I said a lot, man, but uh, uh, from going through uh, the clown show a minute ago with Ellie and the Scott Daddy, I think I got a little bit to say. Cause, but anyway, I love y'all, man. <laughs> I love y'all. What y'all love doing, you, man? man. And get these young folks to stop this bullshit. And like I said before, tell everybody, man, you, when you have a, a disagreement with somebody, do not keep talking to their ass longer than three minutes, man. Just say, brother and sister, I love you, and walk away, man. We got to do that, man. Walk away. Ain't, it, it ain't that serious, man. Who mm-hmm. shoot somebody over a sandwich you carrying on, man? Mm-hmm. I, we, like you say, bro, we, we got love. We got to go back to where we got love for each other, man. That's why mm-hmm. the last thing I'm going to say to y'all, I love y'all, man, all y'all. Mm-hmm. Peace and blessing, Elliot. I, 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 I'm glad you let me say something, something, something. But Mississippi ain't shit, man. I had to say something about it. Cause I, got, I paid a ticket in Mississippi, and we sent a money order, and the people at the courthouse uh, took my ticket, man. It, it took my money order, and then they swear I ain't paid my ticket, man. This was in Scott County, man. I hate Mississippi, man. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I love y'all, man. Two weeks of Elliot, and my brother, stay strong, man. Inside this treaty, man. Uh, talk to you. Thanks for your contribution. Yeah. 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 Let's go to six four seven in Toronto. 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 Can you, uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I wanted to say that yesterday was the birthday of Emmett. Um, it was the birthday of uh, the great Medgar Evers, and also it was the birthday of Patrice Lumumba. They were born. Both of them were born on uh, July 3rd, uh, 1925. And uh, my grandmother was born in Goodman, uh, Mississippi. And I have been uh, to Mississippi. And uh, (laughs) uh, Mississippi has produced some of the, uh, has produced, like John Hendricks Clark was there, has produced revolutionaries, working class heroes, 
uh, buffoons and idiots, just like every other state. And I'm not uh, necessarily defending Mississippi, but uh, well, I am defending. I am defending the African people that have that that that, that have come out of Mississippi. But I wanted to ask the brothers about uh, uh, Mount Bayou. I think Mount Bayou. That's where Sam Cook's wife, uh, pardon me, his mother, was born in Mount Bayou, and I think that is a uh, a hi- historical. Uh, one of the first historical black towns where uh, uh, I think they had uh, uh, it, it, well, it was one of the uh, towns that African people had control of. Could you talk about that? Without a doubt, brother, brother Elliot, would you like for me to? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Either you or, or brother Kamal. Well, I'm gonna let brother Kamal uh, be extensive on it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna just gonna verify. Uh, the truth in what that brother just uh, said, and uh, the historical data would suggest that Isaiah Montgomery established Mount Bayou. Uh, um, what Isaiah Montgomery envisioned, uh, uh, what he stepped to initially was a swamp, was a swamp, brother. And uh, Isaiah Montgomery was not a man without means. Isaiah Montgomery was a man of means, uh, coming from a plantation uh, system himself but being privileged by that plantation system uh to be able to be his own man and be a free man but he left the construct of the white man power system in that plantation to go and establish his own and with a uh a group of black people he looked out over a swamp that eventually became mount bayou mississippi and what would become known as the jewel of the delta the jewel of the delta and I'm gonna let Baba Kamal expound a little bit more on Mount Bayou because it's very important. We actually looking to go into Mount Bayou and uh, resurrect some things in Mount Bayou uh, for the brother in Toronto. But that brother in Atlanta, I just want to say something to that brother in Atlanta. See, that's the spirit of people in Mississippi. I know he say he hate Mississippi, and I know what it is that he hate. I know what it is that he hate. But that brother said he love us. This is it's a, it's a separation got to be made there. You know, he ain't saying at all that he hates black people in Mississippi. And I think black people got to be specific like that. You know, I understand what it is that he hates about Mississippi. I hate that very thing. I hate it too. But it's people like that brother right there that I get up every morning and do this work for. People like that brother that called in for Atlanta, we get up every morning and do that work. But uh, to the brother in Toronto, Mount Bayou, Mississippi is one of the oldest townships, uh, black historic townships uh, 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 in the country, in the country. And uh, it's in the Delta, in the Delta area of Mississippi. And uh, I'll let Bob Kamal has found a little bit more on Mount Bayou, Mississippi. Uh, well, Brother Patrick, I, I, I think you eloquently stated it. Uh, Mount Bayou uh, was a stronghold for uh, civil rights and for uh, 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 black liberation, black economics. And uh, it, it depleted because of the redirection of a highway, which the redirection of that traffic uh, killed uh, the town as they do with a lot of towns uh, in Mississippi when they re- redirect traffic or the interstate system with Mount Bayou, they did it purposely. But uh, just to add on to, uh, for enlightenment,
excitement for my brother out of Toronto, Canada, and to piggyback on uh, Brother Patrick, one of our agendas of the Black Liberation Movement is to reinstitute the Black Township, to teach people what domestic sovereignty is. There's a lot of us that live in little enclaves that are unincorporated, like Ada, Midnight, uh, uh, Lula, and, and different places like this where we have several hundred people, a thousand people, Jeffrey City, uh, where we have 1,500 people. But to provide uh, these black townships with uh, the economic realities of roads and infrastructure and so that these black communities can be pragmatically autonomous. And so that, that that's one of our platforms, our agenda politically in terms of uh, reinstituting power and sovereignty in communities, as Mount as Mount Bayou uh, was, which is a perfect example. But as we come into these new generations, reinstituting the black township, uh, uh, cultivating uh, farmland and the air property that they're sitting on, and even uh, using the infrastructure that being incorporated uh, a town or a city would provide to. Um, to strengthen and fortify and rebuild these communities. So, uh, uh, you know, thank you for asking your question. Uh, now, Mount Bayou is uh, Mount Bayou is one of the first and oldest, uh, but there are also other smaller black towns and enclaves, some not even on the map, uh, where people came out of, as I just mentioned, like Ada and Midnight and Lula and uh, 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 whatnot. <laughs> why not? I mean, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why, like, why, why, why not? That's where David Ruffin was born. Exactly. You're exactly right. David and Jimmy <laughs> wow. Ruffin come out of why not? Okay. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can, I, can I say one other thing, Brother Elliot? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, certainly. I think absolutely relevant to what's being said. And I hope the brother from Toronto is, is still on because <clears throat> he mentioned something about Patrice Lumumba and Mega Evans. And we do have our Secretary of Education who keeps up with all of those aspects and she lead our uh ISHA academy because we into the power building aspect and it is it's just not totally done it's building black institutions so we have a ISHA academy but speaking to uh the brother that talked about mount bayou now the significance of mount bayou that should be drawn out here is that it should be a relationship between powerful black people and establishing black townships uh, I spoke to Isaiah Montgomery, uh, economic privilege. He didn't seek to assimilate with white people or take on the mindset of white supremacist dominate, domination, uh, that, that type of culture. He went to establish a place for his people, uh, and it, it turned into Mount Bayou. Now, in doing that, another powerful black man emerged, and i like for people who listen to study this black man, T.R. Howard. I'm saying it right, if I'm saying it wrong, so Crystal, make sure that you correct me on that. But Dr. T.R. Howe, who uh, became very instrumental in the Mamie Teal, Emmett Teal situation. Now, powerful black people establishing black townships and strongholds for black people, you know, launching insurance companies, building hospitals. This was what was done under the leadership of a person like T.R. Howe you know, in the wake of uh, Isaiah Montgomery establishment in place. And it became a safe haven for Black people. Mega Evers was trained by T.R. Howard in Mount Bayou, Mississippi. 
Not only that, Mount Valley, Mississippi, and a safe place for black people were created where Mamie Till, that's where she stayed when the the, the trials and, and, and all those things was taking place. And they were transported by Dr. T.R. Howard in his car, which was a bulletproof car, even back then. Okay, so we're talking about black people of economic power that care about black people, unlike these economic black people today, you know, the Oprah Winfrey's, the, the Michael Jordan's, the Jay Z's, and all these people that, that is, to me, absolutely frivolous and inconsequential to the causation of black people. You know, we, we I, I, absolutely inconsequential to the causation of black people. But what I'm saying is that. We have to make a strong relationship between powerful black people and what we're going to decide to do and control. And back in the day, we had black people like a Dr. T.R. Howe and Isaiah Montgomery, who were men of means who cared about black people. And they provided safe spaces. And that's what we're looking to do here in Mississippi. We perfectly situate to terraform Mississippi, you know, to develop these uh, strong black townships again they still here you know the brothers that come down from philadelphia the first thing they say we got black townships you're standing in them Coldwater, mississippi crenshaw mississippi cold uh como mississippi clarksdale mississippi all of these places are his uh are predominantly black townships and the list go on and on and on and on and i like to also in this vein introduce the book by charles blow uh the Devil We Know, Black Power Manifesto, where the whole concept is the reverse migration of Black people. If we're going to stay here, we got to obtain power. And it's places that's already carved out that's more situated than others for us to do this in. So it's people that's greater than myself that I learned from, uh, like Chuck Way Lamont, who came out of Michigan and established the Republic of New Africa. And he came to Jackson, Mississippi, and ascertained the mayor seat, and he determined black uh, 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 a black mecca, basically, for black people in establishing himself as the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi. We got to have those kind of uh, uh, black people that's thinking like that if we're going to continue and if we're going to survive uh, America. Hmm. Toronto, any more questions or comments? Oh, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, some of our greatest minds have come out of Mississippi. Dr. Gerald Horn has uh, Mississippi roots. Uh, Richard Wright, uh, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, not just uh, scholars, but we had some of the greatest, uh, and not just singing and dancing. Like you said, one of the greatest singers that ever walked the earth was David Ruffin and Jimmy Ruffin. But, you know, Mississippi has also produced great thinkers and as well as uh uh, freedom fighters, scientists, and, you know, it's, uh, well, Mississippi, I guess I'm kind of biased because, like I say, my grandmama and my grandmama had, uh, if you walk, walked into her house, she would think you were in the Deacons for self-defense uh, chapter, <laughs> you know, she had, <laughs> she, was, she was no she was, she was prepared, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, yeah, sir. Okay. But, uh, I'll keep on listening, and I'd like to stay in touch with you, brothers. Talk, yes, to, you, talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Let's go to uh, 901 in Memphis. 901? Memphis, are you there? 
Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening in. This is Catherine. Uh, okay, I'll Catherine Larson. Just enjoying the conversation. Thank you. I'll put you back on hold. I wanted to say before you go to the next caller. Um, go ahead, Richard. I, I remember um, Brother Patrick the uh, seeing a video with, and mentioned you know a couple brothers from Philadelphia, and I remember seeing Brother Carlton Jones. Uh, y'all had he came down and walked through the one of those towns in that you were talking about, um, mm-hmm. and 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 as Elliot goes through the callers. I, I definitely would like us to come back to if it, if if we have time and you know because I think it's very important what both of you raised about the the question of these towns and domestic sovereignty. Um, that's another um, framework that I think that we should be <clears throat> clear um, when we talk about power, um, what that means, how do we go about from an organizing perspective. So I'd like us to to if we have time to flesh that out. Because I think that also is very important, um, not just in the South um, and these towns, which might have over 50 percent, um, 60 percent, 70 percent of the population is black. So we should um, operate from that vantage point and link up from an economic and, and political perspective. So I just wanted to raise that. But I remember seeing Brother Carlton Jones um, walking through. And I, I don't know if Brother Jones is just a city boy, but shocked you know, being down mm-hmm. in a country town. But uh, he did get this, that kind of expression as he was going through. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, Richard, because I wanted to mention that and kind of flush that out a little bit in the time we have left. Um, Brother Patrick and Brother Kamal, the, the yeah. need for political representation is paramount. Now, let me kind of, say what I mean in reference to political representation. There's a strong need for African Senate political representation. Representation that's going to support policies and work in a collective interest for black people. Now, I want to get your opinion on this because there was a ruling came out by the Supreme Court last week uh, saying that uh, the gerrymandering that happened in Mississippi is legal where I think they only gave one district, uh, majority black district, uh, when I think uh, 27% of the state is black, or or it might be larger than that. Right. This is what I wanted to say, and I I wanted to get both of you men's insight on this. Now, if you you look at blacks as a collective, uh, the majority of black people don't vote. But the ones that do vote for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Now, did both the Democrat and Republican Party cultivate so our so-called best and brightest that they can use in a political framework or use in politics? And when a lot of these blacks get into these offices, they work in the interests of Democratic Party or special interests very few of them work solely in the interests of black people. So then they turn around with this gerrymandering. I think when they're doing this, they're playing chess while some of us are playing checkers because they realize that if we adopt a strategy 
of taking over these districts where we overwhelmingly populate and put in place African Senate leadership that this could change the dynamic of how we dealing in these states. So they come up with ideas, just gerrymandering and other stuff where you can dilute the potential power. See, because I don't see uh, Mississippi and other states that have a overwhelming predominantly black leadership as having power because they don't exude it. You go into cities where these states are, you go in some of the cities in these states where they're supposed to have power and the, the unemployment rate is off the hook. The poverty rate is off the hook. So where's the power? But if we developed African centered leadership, we can change the dynamic. Talk about the idea and not the idea, the, the challenges that when you and your organization in Mississippi on the move, along with uh, the black liberation movement, go into these areas to try to get the people to understand their need to develop their own African Senate candidates to run for these offices. Is it a challenge? Talk about it from you men's perspective as organizers. All right. All right. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Bob, because I'm, I'm chomping at the beat, but I know you need to tackle this. Go ahead. Well, first of all, very good question. Thank you for your question because, uh, you know, ever since uh, 1875, the introduction of Jim Crow and the destruction of uh, Reconstruction in Mississippi, uh, you know, Mississippi has not been able to have an African-American to hold statewide office. And that with the introduction of Mississippi's 1890 Constitution, which, of course, they introduced pig laws and uh, uh, racist codes, which if they can imprison a population, they can take you off the voting rolls forever. So in the state of Mississippi, we have approximately 200,000 Africans who cannot vote because they have formerly been incarcerated. With that being said, also in 17 other states, the majority of them are in the South. Uh, they basically have the same type of pig laws, which has diminished our African leadership in places like the Senate or in Congress or in governorships, you know. And so in these particular states, it's been uh, strategized that the, the highest office that you can attain is either a state senator or a state representative. Now, with all that being said, currently at the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, uh, I'm involved in a lawsuit uh, where, uh, and just like Patrick, uh, you know, I was falsely incarcerated myself, which was an awakening for me just because of my political views and stances. I was a smart nigga. I had to be put in my place. And so uh, they said that I had uh, took a cell phone, let somebody use it, charged me with embezzlement, gave me 10 years for it, a $49 cell phone, gave me 10 years for it. I did, too, and stayed eight years on paper. But this is 
to introduce why this lawsuit, which is in the fifth uh, U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, even right now as we speak. If it fails there, then it goes to the Supreme Court. This is on behalf of those who have served time, giving them the right to vote so that it will not be involved in uh, double jeopardy based on the 1890 Mississippi Constitution being totally racist and reflection of pig laws, so on and so forth. And and I'm elaborating this way because right now in Mississippi, you know, they put Samson's eyes out, so to speak, and cut his, all his hair off. But while they're not looking, there's another population that has risen, another voter age population. Matter of fact, uh, there, there's been at least three generations of voter age populations that have risen that have been under the radar in Mississippi that are not involved in the process that 18 to 35 years of age. Hmm. So Samson's hair has grown back, so to speak. And in, in, in black liberation movement, in us skewing the numbers, we have the right amount to get another congressman or another U.S. senator. Now, with Mike Espy, he just ran for the U.S. Senate. And, and on, the, on the first and second times that he has ran, he's ran for the U.S. Senate twice. Mike Espy, a black man, former secretary of agriculture. He always comes out with 48% of the vote, but that's because the, 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 the effort has not been made to encompass this 18 to 35, even 40 year old age group and to make them an intelligent electorate on the issues. And then that's the second thing. When you have an unintelligent electorate, you have dumb officials as well. We elect people just because they my cousin or their name is Pookie or because you gave me a moon pie and a watermelon and I went and voted for them. So Black Liberation Movement, we're eliminating uh, these things on the political uh, uh, spectrum. And, and, and right now we're in serious critical thinking and discussion, really. And I, and, and I know uh, Pat will agree with me that w- whether we should uh, – resurrect the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, uh, put efforts toward independent candidacies. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Because, uh, but, but this is what I'm saying, because Republicans and Democrats have both uh, practiced benign neglect for quite some time to the issues of the black community, and particularly Mississippi. And I heard uh, Patrick made reference that Mississippi has more black elected officials, in which he is absolutely right. We have more black elected officials in Mississippi than anywhere in the U.S. of A. But with that being said, they just got a black face, but they do not have an African-American or African agenda, and it's not working for the collective. So we have a lot of work to do in that area of that uh, department. But what has become even worse for Mississippians is we're of the mindset that just because you're black that you have to be a Democrat or vote Democrat. And the Democratic Party, through benign neglect, uh, really has not done anything for us. We, we, we cannot – well, first of all, starting with why in the hell do you have to renew my voting rights every 25 years? Or uh, how come you can't get a, a, a John Lewis bill passed? 
how come you can't get a hate crime bill passed for African uh, Americans? Why do you have to filibuster 200? Had to filibuster 270 uh, 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 anti-lynching bills before you can get one passed just for political expediency, and that was the Emmett Till bill just the other month, and you're doing that because you don't want to lose black people's votes as you go into the midterm elections. And so, uh, you know, we're sick and tired of being used both by liberals and by moderates, you know, at least conservatives. We know just outright what they are as they compete with one another, but the one of the worst types of suffering that we have uh, experienced uh, politically in Mississippi is from uh, white liberals and blacks carrying out white liberals' agenda, posing as friends, like they have friendship, when really their agenda is worse than the racist races. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Can I say something on that? Yes, sir. Thank you, Bob Kamal, and thank you, Brother uh, Elliot and uh, Brother Richard. And I, uh, I uh, hope seriously that we uh, continue these dialogues and y'all have us back and stay monitoring monitoring what it is that we're doing down here in Mississippi. Because we think if it can be done in Mississippi, we intend on doing it, it can be done anywhere in this whole Western Hemisphere. But I will say this, uh, Brother Ellis, because I heard your question. It was an absolutely great question. And the questions precipitate great conversation. And what I will say is, and Bob Kamal know me, that's why I'm glad he's on here, because he's going give to give it to you like that. I'm going to give it to you like this. You know, it don't matter. All of this means nothing. All the political uh, black alignment in Mississippi that, you know, we, the black state, the United States, that, that don't mean nothing. All this means nothing. And even the right to vote is nullified. You know, don't even really amount to shit. We are letting black, capitulated, weak-ass niggas. And see, that's, that's the thing right there. If our leadership is weak, it don't matter you got the right to vote. Look what you putting in there. You putting in there uh, chocolate-colored white people that's maintaining the status quo of black people condition. We can't afford that. We on the throes of a plantation economy here in Mississippi. We in the throes of a plantation economy. If people don't understand what a plantation economy is, Mississippi best reflect that. Second to that is Louisiana. That means that elite class of white people got all the goddamn money. Okay, they got all the power, you know, and then you ain't just got a poor class of black people. You got a a poor class of white people, too. The difference is that the white people are politicized stronger than you are. And they protected by the white elite that control the the economy. So with the black uh, people, the residue of our African ancestry, and, and just like Bob James Small came right here and taught me personally, myself, he said, Patrick. He said Mississippi is the Africa of the Western Hemisphere. Mm. He meant that ecologically. He meant that you got every goddamn tool you need to go to work and hash out something for black people right here. And Mississippi is that. We have the people resource. You know, we, we have. He said that black people in Mississippi are the closest to that African culture than any other people in the Western Hemisphere. I was blown away. I didn't say that. Professor James Small said that. And he taught me on that. And that stuck with me. And that was back in eight, uh, 2018, if I'm not mistaken. 
So we on a collision course with destiny, uh, brother. And I don't know how much more time we got, but I appreciate you all. Uh, you lit uh, a fire behind me just in acknowledging what it is that we do because we don't get pats on the back. You know, we don't get uh, pats on the back. We don't get acknowledged as much as we should, you know, and as much as Baba Kamal should, as much as Crystal Denise should, as much as the people that's involved and, and, and invested not only their money, they blood, sweat, and tears into what it is that we're doing. So I appreciate it. And as we matriculate Mississippi on the move, we're going to continue to challenge the capitulated black-ass leadership here in Mississippi. I'm going to do it. And uh, I'm sure Baba Kamal is going to stand 10 toes down and everybody else that's involved with the Black Embrace Movement. This is what we're going to be doing because Mississippi is on the move. So I appreciate you guys for having us. Richard, you want to uh, say something? I just want to bring out, um, Brother Patrick, you, you're, you're right. For me, uh, I have coming back, um, not just to, to keep up on what's going on and what the Black Liberation Movement is doing um, with you and Baba Kamal, but in order to keep flushing out this 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 process, I, I, I'm, I'm excited. So let me calm down and as, as share in, in this because this is, and I'm glad that um, um, Baba, you know, um, Smalls laid, not only laid that this the formation land geography is. Um, to the point of the richness of Africa, but the mm -hmm. cultural matrix mm -hmm. you know, and the historical context is to the richness of African people. That's important. That's right. That's right. I think that that's important. And, bro and Brother Kamal, the point that yes, you, uh, in looking at, we're looking at not the generations past, um, because those generations that are coming up that you're working with now, this, whether you create the truce or the ones that you're, you know, bringing together in doing, developing the political, developing the leadership, because that leadership can be reflective of Dr. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt Mason uh, or, or brother um, Isaiah Montgomery, as far as the profession, the economics, the point of we're going to create a colony under of, to ourselves. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a whole position. That's a mm -hmm. that's that's right. That's what they said. That's a manhood position. And, and right, I, right. the you know the women. And I hear y'all y'all are there again. I'm excited, Elliot. You know, you might have to you know put a pin in me to you know get that. <laughs> but I mean, because this when we talk about power, and we talk about state power. Because it's interesting, you 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 brought up the book, the devil we know, but Mississippi as a state, you know, um, is important when we're talking about the representation, and more importantly, something that you brought up, the clash, because here we can see we will be able to see the political clash of black elected officials on white power, black. Power being development for the for the sole perspective of domestic sovereignty, right? Clash, mm -hmm. right? That's right, right. That's right. Will not be able to sit on the sideline and wonder which, because both of us will be black, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's this right. Is why that's right, Rich. That's right, Rich. 
good template for us to not just follow because this is what's going to have to happen everywhere. And yeah, right, right now, Negroes hide. Right. They hide behind white people. They hide behind class. They hide. They hide in, in, in relationship to why aren't we executing power when you're in the positions that it seemed like you're supposed to be in a power position. Right. So that's mm-hmm. I just wanted to to bring out that what what we what I had surmised and you know the exchange so far of why we have to continue to be engaged with the work that you're doing because I also seen the video with the sisters that was doing the educational thing um, um, with the um, children. I think that was the book readings every Saturday um, or, was, or, or on a regular basis. I thought that was, uh, you know, powerful, a powerful infrastructure. We were talking about developing of leadership. So I just wanted to say that is, is important from a power perspective, but we um, who are around the country, especially if, for those in the time for awakening, um, we cannot like sit on the sideline and watch it like it's a sports game. Mm-hmm. We have to mm-hmm. be engaged in supporting the side that is going to be the winning side that represent our interests. And right. if we do that, mm-hmm. we're leaving them to be on their own in this contest amongst black folks in a state that, um, Brother Kamal, you said, and, you know, with this pig law and all these other laws that Mississippi got going right. on, white power, they got mm-hmm. it. It ain't no new thing. I mean, Du Bois wrote about it in Black Reconstruction, and it's on and on and on. I just wanted to say that. I apologize for taking too long. Quite all right. Mm-hmm. You know, before before we wind things down this evening, uh, brothers, um, understand, uh, uh, both of you brothers with the uh, with the uh, Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi that you're involved in farming also. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, re- I was reading this article in MississippiToday.org, and it talked about it. The focus was on white farmers in the Delta, but it was talking about white farmers all throughout the state of Mississippi and how they've been bringing in their brothers from South Africa and pushing out black farm workers that had been down there working for almost since we were on the plantation right? and paying them a lot more money than the, uh, some of our brothers and sisters that's working that had been working those jobs. Mm. Um, I don't know whether you, well, I know that you men were aware of it, but right. just in case, I just want to read some of this for the listening audience and, and get your feedback on it, you know, before we wind some things down. I'm, I'm going to read portions of this uh, published report for the listening audience of Time for an Awakening. This is out of MississippiToday.org. It says, exploited, the, head, the header says, exploited uh, white Delta farm owners are underpaying and pushing out black workers. And the story kind of focuses in on these two brothers, uh, the strong brothers. Richard and his brother, Gregory. Uh, Their comments, farming is actually in our DNA, says Richard Strong, now 51. I could close my eyes and drive a tractor. But both brothers haven't been on a tractor in the fields in over two years. They say that unknowingly uh, trained themselves out of jobs when Pitts Farms hired South Africans through a visa program. 
the uh, but the Strongs and other black workers say that the pay gap existed from the first day the South Africans started at the the Pitts Farm, and for several years before. Records show that Pitts started seeking foreign workers as early as 2014. Uh, Locals got an occasional pay bump on the weekends, but mostly took home the federal minimum wage as farms started giving them fewer shifts, according to the years of pay stubs obtained by Mississippi Today. The Strongs and other workers who work for Pitts, other black workers who work for Pitts for more than 100 years combined, say they were pushed out of their jobs completely. Pitts Farms is not the only Delta farm that has misused the program. A Mississippi Today investigation found at least five other farms in the Delta paid their local workers less money than workers who came than white workers who came on foreign for, foreign farm work permits called H-2A visas over the past two years. But all those farm workers worked for an agency that specialized in recruiting South Africans who are usually young, white, and speak English. Uh, the H-2A program is supposed to fill gaps for farmers when they cannot find enough local work for positions. The program mandates a premium hourly wage uh, produced by a formula. This year in Mississippi, that wage rose to $12.45 an hour. Labor regulations mandate farm hiring. H-2A workers must offer jobs to prior local workers at the adjusted rate and cannot pay current workers below it. Yet black workers from uh, different farms all throughout the Delta uh, express that they don't get paid nearly that much. Africans, uh, a recent, excuse me, a recent Department of Labor investigation found uh, catfish farmers and others paying local workers less money than those that they brought in uh, white workers on the farm visa program, according to uh, records obtained from Mississippi today. There has been a wholesale failure to adequately recruit black farm workers, uh, particularly in the Mississippi Delta, says Ty Pinkins, one of the Mississippi Centers for Justice Attorneys. Uh, nationwide use of the H-2A program is exploding. It is more than doubled in size over the past decade, breaking a record last year when the U.S. issued nearly 258,000 of temporary work visas, mostly to young white farm workers. Uh, roughly 34,000 farms in Mississippi have applied for this program, uh, and among that fraction, a Mississippi Today analyst found that 81% of the cases ended up uh, they're breaking labor regulations about 10% higher than the national rate. When COVID-19, now check this out, when COVID-19 Omicron variant closed the U.S. borders to South Africans, Mississippi farm owners panicked. They had become so reliant on South African workers that the ability to harvest crops was dependent upon their arrival. In response, the Mississippi Farm Bureau, federal Federation President Mike McCormick wrote a letter to the state's members of Congress telling them that white farm workers should be exempt from any potential travel bans 
the State Department made provisions with them within days so that farm workers could travel without issue. Now, you got a a state government and a federal government that's participating in open discrimination against black people. No doubt. No doubt. And using them almost, almost in a slavery type of thing, bringing white folks over here and giving them a lot more money. See, th- th- this is what, I, brothers, listen, I keep beating this drum on this program. It's a failure of these black elected officials nationwide, not just in Mississippi. This is a problem for us. And if we don't deal with this, we're going to have a double barrel. We already got this white supremacy that we know is our enemy. But a lot of these black elected officials have become an open enemy to black people. In these cities, mm-hmm. this gentrification is off the hook. And when you look, you got black elected officials, black aldermen, black council people that's helping these whites come in and push blacks out of their neighborhoods. This stuff is a problem. Mm-hmm. We got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Can I respond, Bob Kamal, briefly? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm okay. I'm, I'm waiting on I'm waiting on you, Pat. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, listen, man. Uh, Elliot, you right on point, bro. You right on point. And what we're speaking to is nothing more than the marginalization and the destruction of the black farm. Now, see, it was me who stepped away from my place of business. You know, uh, about five years ago. This will be our sixth year in agriculture initiative with the Black Liberation Movement. Uh, where we actually decided that we would start to cultivate our own crop. Now you have two types of farming that's taking place. You got a commodity farming and you got a produce farming. Uh, you're speaking more to the commodity farming aspect. Mm-hmm. But when I first started to really try and learn this aspect of our culture and being in Mississippi, you know, I knew that it was black farmers out there. It was a matter of making a connection with them. What I found was that the black farmers, three and four generations removed from the work, the land that the, 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 the parents, the grandparents owned, they were unable to maintain these farms for lack of market, you know, for their product, yes. whatever, and the political process that you're talking about right now. Right now. See, that, that becomes a whole political agenda. And having politicians, they got some testicular fortitude. They're going to stand up and understand that you think black politicians don't know this. Yeah, they know this. Yes. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at the article right now. Pitt's farm is in Indiola, Indianola, Mississippi. So Mississippi on the move is right on time. We're going into historically black townships to talk about this. But what we find is a, uh, 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 for, for the most part, we, we not the politicians that we trying to, uh, drive out to these talks. They don't have the aptitude, uh, 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 we don't have, uh, we, we cannot, we, we, we find it hard to create the conversation. You know, the hard conversation, what, what you know, we sitting here having right now, these conversations, uh, it's hard to hash them out in, in three hours, you know, in these uh, uh, town talks. So it got to be follow-up plebiscites that take place. You got to have a plan contingency to go back into these townships. To, to, to begin these strong political conversations. But you're right on point with what it is. And, you know, when the brothers left here from Natchez and they seen the resource, when they came here and they seen what we had to offer, they began to talk uh, in terms of how do we invest? You're talking about the most fertile farmland in America is the Mississippi Delta. 
and that spans across Mississippi into Alabama, I mean, not Alabama, Louisiana, and Arkansas. So that is the most fertile farmland in America. And you talk about the majority population of black people is still there. Hmm. You know, that's, that's natural farming. But that political process that you're talking about has marginalized that ability of our people to be able to take care of ourselves. So, you know, uh, and we're doing a good job of neglecting the farm ourselves too. You know, it's, a, it's an old adage that say, uh, the uneducated black man acquired the land and the educated black man walked away from it. Mm-hmm. So we got, we got a whole lot of dynamics that working right there. You know, but we trying to right now uh, bring that, that farming agriculture aspect right back into the conversation because we know that it is a uh, a major uh, catalyst to what it is that we're talking about in a domestic sovereign state of autonomy that Mississippi represents. So that's 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 that, brother. And I hear you loud and clear, and we're working on that. Okay, brother Kamal, any comment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, just just to uh, piggyback on uh, on on Patrick's uh, point. See, Mississippi has a population of about 2.8 million people total, 1.2 million African people. Uh, In relation to its land mass, it has a vast, vast amount of land. These townships that I was speaking of, like Ada, Midnight, Lula, why not? Uh, You have hereditary land that a lot of our people live on that is uncultivated. And the reason why it's uncultivated is because we have a certain menticide about farming that we relegated towards slavery. Mm -hmm. But also with those who are involved in farming, Association of Black Farmers and whatnot, they have not been able to adequately get the resources to maintain their farms because they've been openly discriminated against. Mm -hmm. So as we go through these places, uh, and, and as we go and talk to people, one of our encouragements is to do something for yourself. Go back into uh, recultivate uh, your land to uh, understand the value of agricultural initiatives and in building uh, uh, domestic sovereignty, black townships, and the ideology of uh, 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 sociological, biological, economical, educational interests. Uh, of your community, that the land is important, destroying that menticide uh, that has been developed where a person would rather leave their land and go to the city and get a job and leave their field uncultivated, thinking that that's a better and easier way of life. So it's a menticide that has to be destroyed. Wow. Brothers, listen, I enjoyed this conversation tonight. Uh, we're going to have to do this again soon. In fact, I'll be in touch with you, Brother Patrick, because uh, I want to work out something where we can kind of do this on a uh, more consistent basis. No doubt. Um, No doubt. Because what's happening in Mississippi affects all of us. The problems that's happening in Mississippi with our brothers and sisters in Louisiana and Georgia, it affects all of us. We We need to start developing that mentality that, oh, well, that's happening down there. I live in Pennsylvania. Well, that's happening over there in California, and I live here. But the, 
If it happens to one of our brothers, no matter where it is, it's happening to all of us. We have to start taking that approach uh, politically, socially, and economically. We would, that's the only way we're going to make it. And, and brother, if if, if, if if I might close on this note uh, <clears throat> with what's going on in Floor County and with the uh, uh, the the warrant for uh, Carolyn Bryant, uh, for those listeners who are listening all across the country tonight, and even those who are listening overseas, um, you know, on on, on Thursday. Uh, if you don't see it on your news in terms of the request for uh, the warrant to be executed or uh, and the reason why, if, if why not the warrant can't be executed, why due process has to be violated because of white privilege, if they don't see it on their news, you need to call your local affiliate and ask them why. How come that response is not on your news? Because the narrative is being controlled and a lot of times what goes on with us right here in Mississippi is not being even uh, uh, shown on a national scale. Uh, some of the shootings, some of the murders, some of the injustices, uh, because it's not economically expedient to show it on major networks. But it goes on all the time here. So, you know, I'm, I'm asking your listeners for them to start questioning why. How come Mississippi is not more in view in terms of what's going on in it racially, politically, uh, and in the way of freedom, justice, and equality uh, for for black people that live within the state. You know, that's that's one of the reasons why uh, I just mentioned that I'm going to be in touch with Brother Patrick after this program is over because that is supposed to be the role of black media. Yeah. Not all this, uh, you know, you turn on, I can drive into any city. I can leave Philadelphia and drive across country and turn on the radio in the morning and I'll hear Steve Harvey uh, mm -hmm. whatever laughing and giggling 20, mm -hmm. seven, six, almost six days a week. Right, right. Ricky and, Smiley. And, and I'll, exactly. And I'll be hard-pressed to hear some constructive conversation. I mean, you won't hear constructive conversation on those shows, but I'm just saying those uh, uh, white conglomerates that bought up all of these stations make sure that they put all type of senseless stuff. Listen, ain't nothing wrong with a, a joke here and there, but right. yet, it ain't nothing that funny. And our situation is not funny where you laughing and joking, right. giggling seven days a week. That's right. So, That's you know, right. the, the serious conversations and what's going on in these states to black people, it needs to be showcased on black media. We're going to do all we can on what we do, myself and Brother Richard, to make sure it's showcased. So, I, you know, I'll be in touch with both of you, brothers. And before we leave tonight, just let the folks know if they want to reach you, how they can support uh, uh, the organizations, uh, whatever they can do in that behalf. The, the floor is yours. Okay. Pat, you can go first. Well, I'm just going to be brief. Uh, first off, uh, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, we appreciate you all for taking notice of what it is that we're doing here in our state, uh, state of Mississippi, our, our home, uh, where we're going to decide to turn and shift the paradigm. And we're going to be the model example. You know, uh, if it can be done here, you know, it can be done uh, anywhere if we can create the model. We'll leave y'all with this. It was said that out of oppression, change comes. 
and that out of the most oppression comes the most change. Black people in Mississippi have suffered uh, horrifically and probably the most out of our suffering. And out of that suffering should come a great leadership. So that's what we're working on here in Mississippi. We believe that we have something seriously going here. Uh, I'm not outside of the idea of understanding that we have to make sure that we choose a land of our own. What people build a nation without land? You know, what people build a nation without land? So we got to determine where that is likely to be. We think we found a place. And I'm going to leave with this. I told the brothers that came down, they were under the influence of the great Khalid Muhammad. And I heard Khalid Muhammad say uh, one particular time, he said, Africa is not our home. He said, Africa is our throne. He said, the whole world is our home. And when they, when those brothers left Mississippi, it came to my spirit to make them understand because they said they saw something in Mississippi. So it came to my spirit and I told them, I said, Mississippi may not be your place, but it can be your base. So invest in Mississippi, support us in what it is that we're doing, because if we can do it here, it can be done anywhere. So I thank you brothers for having us on. Brother uh, Elliot, Brother Richard, I'll be looking forward to y'all call and let's work uh, in conjunction with each other and, and make this happen. And, and, and brothers, I, I want to thank you as well for uh, allowing me to uh, give uh, my, my little two cents. And uh, uh, for those that uh, wish to get a uh, copy of my book, Pragmatic Nationalism, uh, you can uh, call me at one six six two two four five zero nine five five. That number again, one six six two two four five zero nine five five. Or if you want the electronic copy, you can go on Barnes and Noble, or you can go on uh, uh, Kindle Fire, and that's Pragmatic Nationalism by Kamal Kareem, K-A-M-A-L, last name spelled K-A-R-R-I-E-M Jr. And uh, we we thank you so much, and uh, brothers, uh, you all media, please uh, uh, continue to monitor, monitor us here in Mississippi, monitor the situation in Lafleur County. And specifically uh, with the uh, DA and uh, with the execution of this warrant and the outcome uh, that is to be known uh, very shortly. Listen. Yeah, and if, oh, go ahead. If, let me say this. If anybody wants to help us, uh, we do have cash out. Uh, we do have other means, but I don't have time to hash them out and find them. We do have cash out. That's dollar sign B-L-M-M-S. Very simple. That's the Mississippi Black Liberation Movement, dollar sign, B-L-M-M-S. Uh, you know, brothers, before you leave, um, you know, uh, Dr. King said uh, in one of his speeches, um, uh, what, did he, what did he say, Richard? Uh, simple things that we all can do or something. I, I forgot what it's done. In fact, I might play it before we leave out of here this evening. But one but, thing he did say, injustice anywhere is capable of being injustice everywhere. Yes. He did say that for sure. But one of the simple things that we can, that everybody can do is, and I want to see if you brothers agree, write some type of communication to not only Benny Swan, uh, Benny, Benny Swans, Benny Thompson, Benny, Th- Benny Thompson, 
But all of those black Congress people and the senator, two senators, write them, communicate with them, and let them know that they need to do something about this warrant for uh, uh, this this white woman, uh, uh, Bryant, in relation right. to the death of Emmett Till. Demand that they do something. Put it on record that they that there's been a demand out there. Richard, any comment before we let the brothers go? No, other other than I'm, I'm looking forward. Matter of fact, I think uh, here at Peace Park, they're planning. I didn't know if it was in the area that you're in, Brother Patrick, um, um, a, a retreat in Mississippi. Um, y'all just motivated me. I was, you know, I'm always like shuffling, whatever. So, but y'all have motivated me. I got to get down to Mississippi and I'll, that'd be where I, you know, part of that retreat and therefore also be a part of meeting you fine gentlemen. No doubt. Well, brother, brother, Richard, just let we, us we, know. Just let us know. We 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 plan to make Mississippi a destination state. I mean, imagine that. We plan to make Mississippi a destination state for our people. I believe in this reverse migration process, and I want to make uh, Mississippi a destination haven for us. We already talking to young black civil developers. Uh, we we calling it concept engineering. We want to talk to young black civil developers and ask them the question, can you build black townships? Can you improve black townships? Why are you leaving Mississippi? Stay here and let's make it a haven for our people. So we're going to be looking for you, Brother Richard. We're going to be looking for you. And uh, if you come in this way, make sure that you call us. We, okay. we, 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 you, you heard that thing called Southern Hospitality, right? Uh oh! See, see, that ain't that ain't that ain't no white people shit. Eastside of that. Yeah, that's that's our African culture, bro. So you reach out to us in the Black Liberation Movement, and we're gonna take care of our brothers. Well done. Because you ain't doing nothing but coming home to us. I told Carlton Jones, I said, "Y'all fourth and fifth generation removed Mississippians, man." <laughs> Listen, yeah. we talked to you, brother Sue. Peace. No doubt. All right. Peace and power. Power and peace. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to wind and uh, close out the program. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21. 
215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headache customers, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. Just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set. The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he uh, teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind 
uh, if our people could uh, be wrecked, uh, if they could, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over $100 billion in reparations and gets $4 billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over $200 million and they get $21 million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you called me a nationalist, because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I say that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. It matters where we are in our minds. And wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America, we know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House. You can even put him in his. He'll still be a Tom. You can put him anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente is just 
run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes. And study the scene. Study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip. And you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby and there's a there's dozens of bystanders black who are watching this, this is a very powerful thing and it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. I want to thank our guests that we had this evening, CFO of the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Mississippi on the Move. Brother Patrick Alexander and Brother Kamal was with us this evening in conversation. Brother Richard. Yes, yes, sir. You know, Julia Hare said in that clip, our deceased elder said, it doesn't matter where we are physically, but it matters where we are in our minds. So, you know, I'm glad the brothers was on tonight to talk about what's happening down there in Mississippi and what we can do in other areas of this country to kind of coordinate efforts to help all of our brothers out. Because if we help one out, we help everybody. It's a fact. It's it's something that we must be taking, you know, very seriously, um, that each one of us as individuals is a part of this, this dynamic you know, uh, of once again extending and securing um, this liberation. Uh, You know, our liberation struggle has not stopped. Um, It may have its uh, pitfalls or um, arrested developments, but it has not uh, stopped. And at one point, there is going to be synergy where all the pieces that we know needs to be in place are in place. And that, that, um, Elliot is, I'm, you know, I don't even know why I don't even want to give it a description of what that will be, but I think that that's that inspiration, that nonverbal communication is what we have to 
um, solicit from the next generation and the generation after. And that's what they have to feel, perceive, hear, think, and know in order to carry out um, and make this thing come into being, the process of becoming. Before we leave this evening, I want to give the lineup on time for an awakening media Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting guests and dialogue on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, later on in the afternoon and evening, in fact, uh, 8, to, 8 to 9, Black Therapy Central with hosts Dr. Mawia Combine and Dr. Kamal Combine. And later on, uh, 9 to 10, um, first and third Mondays of the month, Conversation Reparations. That's in Cobra's program with host Brother Jamoke. On Tuesday evenings, 8 to 10 p.m., Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers. On Wednesday is our time, the West Georgia's uh, Farmer Cooperative uh, from 8 to 9 and from 9 to 10, a Black Agenda Report with Dr. David Muhammad. On Friday, time for an awakening is back from 8 until and from Saturday from 7 to 9 p.m., the elders of Sankofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion, as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school
Children to save the children.